Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right, how many of you are ready for the Word of God today? Amen, amen. I'm excited about today because there's a real challenge in here as we're going through the book of Acts. Over the last several months, we've been processing through what is this idea of multiply look like. And on the front side of this series, I begin to share that we're going to spend six months in the book of Acts. And I had somebody in the church walk up to me and say, well, pastor, aren't you afraid that people are going to get bored with six months of the same series? And my response was this, not if God's in it. And I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten bored yet as I've been looking at the book of Acts, as we're discovering how did the early church, the followers of Jesus, as they were establishing the church and laying everything out, how did they grab a hold of this mandate that Jesus laid before them to go and make disciples, to raise up followers, to tell everyone everywhere about him? In other words, for us today, how do we multiply? How do we multiply in every aspect of life? How do we multiply in our relationship with one another? How do we multiply the church and reach more people? How do we multiply our impact outside of these walls and impact the community and represent Jesus to those that are lost and broken without him? How do we multiply in our generosity and our giving and our serving and honoring God in all that we say and all that we do? I believe that over the last several months, we're beginning to grab a hold of a glimpse of what that looks like. Last week, we discovered and found Paul at this place of of potential threat and opposition. People were coming up to him and saying, man, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to face problems if you go there. And he's like, man, I've got to go because this is what God is laying upon my heart. Now, today, we're going to jump right into the latter portion of chapter 23 and into chapter 24. I'm going to encourage you, take really good notes today. I say this every week. Why do I say this? Because I believe that if you'll take your notes home with you, come on, don't just take good notes and leave them in the seats. I find your notes. Some of them have drawings of me Some of them have drawings of the worship team. Some have little crosses and and etch and sketch things on them. But take really good notes and then take them home with you. Review those throughout the week and let God begin to speak into your life. If you don't want to take paper notes, you can get the digital version on our church app. Go to your favorite app store and grab Encounter Church AG. You can find our app there. And right on the home page are going to be the notes for today's message. But here in chapter 23 and 24, uh, Paul has been arrested for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he's been sent to Caesarea to appear before Governor Felix. Um, As he appears before Governor Felix, the Jewish people have a a speaker, if you would. His name is um, Tertullus. Now, Tertullus is well-known. He is very well-spoken. Some commentaries say that he's a lawyer. Others say that he was a prosecuting attorney. But whatever his official title was that day, um, he began to win the governor over with compliments. 
How many of you know you can win people over real quick by start giving compliments? Right? Man, so this was the case. So Tertullus knew, I and mean, a lot of commentaries tell us that Felix, Governor Felix, was a very difficult man. Um, some go as far as to say that he was actually violent or even unfair. So you can understand why Tertullus, right off of the get-go, begins to throw these compliments his direction. Because he knew that if he didn't speak correctly, if he didn't do what he needed to do, that the wrath of Governor Felix was going to come upon him. Right? So let's find out what he says. It says, when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. He says this, you have provided a long period of peace for us Jews and with foresight have enacted reforms for us. For all of us, for all of this, your excellency, you are, we are very grateful to you. But I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader of a cult known as the Nazarenes. By the way, it wasn't a cult, it was Christianity. Uh, furthermore, he, has, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Now, Tertullus, like I said, he begins to compliment the governor. He asks for a brief moment of time and then cleverly outlines the charges against Paul. And I wonder today, just to get us thinking, if this was a case against you or against me today, not a case against the church not the early church, not the church of today, not your group of friends or your circle of influence, but if this was a charge that Tertullus was making today against you, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Just to get you thinking this morning. See, this is a vitally important question that we must ask ourselves. You see, in verse 14... Paul confesses to one of the accusations that Tertullus makes. He says, but I admit that I follow the way. Now, some of you are like, I don't even know what the way is. What are we talking about? What is Paul confessing to in this moment? The word way was the name of the group of New Testament Christians. It would be like you and I saying that, that we are Christians. I'm a follower of the way. This word way comes from the original word hadas, which carries with it the meaning of a path or a road. You see, the New Testament church, they saw their salvation not as a momentary experience, not as something that happened on January the 3rd, 1983, but on, on something that was a continual pathway, a, a road that they grew in this relationship with Jesus. Church, that's the journey that you and, and I, if you've given your life to Jesus, that's the journey that we're on today. It's a journey 
toward Jesus, not a one-time encounter. Now, don't get me wrong. The moment you surrender yourself to Jesus, the moment you come in and say, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I've made too many mistakes. Would you come in? Would you forgive me? Would you make me brand new? In that moment, instantly, you are changed. The Bible says into a new creation. That that old life, that old life's gone. But suddenly there's a brand new life. You have new DNA input inside of you. You have a a new family that you're a part of. But that doesn't mean that your journey is over. Your journey has just begun. That's the starting line. That's breaking out into this race or this journey, this road that we have with Christ. You walk with Jesus on a daily calling to move forward in total surrender to a relationship with him. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, if anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, come on, look at your neighbor and say follower. If you want to be my follower, here's what you must do. You must give up your own way. Let me pause. That's hard, right? I'm just going to be completely transparent because everything that we are fed outside of these walls says it's all about you, that you're the center of the universe, that you deserve the best, that you're the victim in this situation, that you're, you're the one that deserves it all. You should have it your way. No one else matters but you. And here, now the Bible says that if you want to be his followers, you've got to give up your own way. Come on, look at this. Take up your cross daily. So that means it's not enough just on a Sunday morning. Oh, come on, we're real good at that here in the American church, right? We, we, do, we do church real, real easily out of convenience. Come on. But have we allowed our relationship with God to be, to be bla- placed out of this place of of conviction. Lord, I'm going to deny myself. God, I'm going, to, I'm going to daily take up this cross, not just once a week as I come into a building, but every day when I go to the workplace, every day when I go to the grocery store, every day when I go and get a cup of coffee, Lord, I'm, I'm going to represent you in this journey. Take up your cross daily and, and follow me. Today, before we get into the meat of the message, I want to look at three steps that we've got to follow if we're going to truly take up our cross on a daily basis and follow after Jesus. Three things that we've got to do. First, it's got to start with a desire. Do you have a desire to go on this journey? Are you willing to go on this journey? Or are you satisfied with just kind of going through the motions? Are you willing to go beyond the initial experience and move into a complete lifestyle, daily surrendering to Jesus? You see, there's got to be a desire or nothing's going to be accomplished. Right? Come on. Number two, you must move the focus from us 
to God. We got to move it from us of who we are. In other words, deny ourselves. What exactly does that mean? It means that we move toward allowing our desires to come into alignment with his heart. I mean, Jesus demonstrated that, didn't he? Right before he climbed on the cross, right before he was beaten and arrested and all of these things, he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He's saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He was setting the example for you and for me to to shift this mindset off of self and, and onto God's plan and onto God's purpose. It's shifting the focus. It's, it's moving the focus from pointing toward me and moving it toward God. And the third one is this. It's a daily choice of God over self. Now, on the surface, it would be easy to look at number three here and say that is a lot like point number two. But truth be told, it goes much deeper. This is the willful decision to choose God to take up the cross and identify with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's allowing your reputation, come on, it's allowing your reputation to be wrapped up and consumed with all that he is. We live in a culture right now that that identity is everything. Man, social media, you can make yourself look like anything. Right? I saw this video on Instagram the other day and this gal, and it, it said something like, after two weeks of being broken, having no money, going out and living your bougie life. And she was drinking her coffee and had her hair all fixed and she was living it up. But truth be told, two weeks prior, she couldn't even buy the coffee. But really, that's what we do. What can I do to to make people think better of me? But folks, here's the deal. It's not what they think about me. It's what they think about my God. How can I demonstrate him? How can I represent Jesus? How can I make him known? See, whether they know me or not, that's not important. Truth be told, I really can't change anybody. You really can't change anybody. But Jesus can change us for all eternity by the price that he paid on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. It's its willful decision to identify in our relationship with him. It's allowing that reputation to be wrapped up in him. It's a choice between living for ourselves or living for Jesus. Let me phrase that another way. It's a choice of denying Jesus or denying self. Wow, that's a little more intense, isn't it? But that's really what we're talking about here. It's denying ourselves completely and surrendering to God because truth be told, it's one or the other. You're hot or you're cold. Are you willing today to make this choice to Turn to this journey with Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way at the end of his life. He said, I fought the good fight. I I finished the race. Are you ready to finish the race? 
You see, just as finishing a race requires a a desire to move forward past the difficulty, a focus on purpose and a goal and a constant choice to stay on a path and move forward, so finishing the race spiritually requires a desire to move, a focus of pursuit of God and a constant daily choice to continue to follow no matter what. So I wonder today, is your journey with Jesus more than just a Sunday morning social event? In other words, have you allowed your relationship with Jesus to become part of the DNA of who you are? That every step you take, you reflect his image. And every move that you make, there's a, a relationship with God that is deepened and strengthened. Let's go back to our original question this morning. If you were on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were on trial today for being a Christian? Yes or no? Well, I I don't know, Pat. No, yes or no? And I want to encourage you, take that outline and circle one of those two because that's a defining moment. Here's the problem. Many of us haven't taken the time to define the relationship. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. With all of this being said, there are two truths that we must follow. Number number one is this. Don't just be a fan. Become a follower. Don't just be a fan. Become a follower. Truth be told, there are more fans of Jesus than there are followers of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, probably the simplest way to define this idea of a fan would be this. Three simple words. An enthusiastic admirer. This is the person that that has season tickets to the games. They have all the gear They holler real loud from the stands, but they never break a sweat in the game at all. They never get on the field. They have no real responsibility but to hang out in the stands. They're simply a fan. Here's the problem with being a fan. When your favorite team suddenly goes on a losing streak... This fan is the first one to make a change and to switch teams. Why? Because there's no real commitment. They're just a fan. They're just an enthusiastic admirer. We've all seen them. We've all been to the games. The guys in the front row, they decided to to put on their chest the big letters. And thank you for not doing that this morning, spelling Jesus. I, I appreciate that. But we've all seen that kind of fan. They're enthusiastic. They're a big admirer of the game. They're just an enthusiastic admirer. No more, no less. I'm saddened to say this morning that there are churchgoers that fall into the same trap. 
of simply being a, a fanboy, of missing the real heart of the journey. If anyone wants to follow after me, got to take up his cross, got to deny himself, got to follow me. In the book, Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, he talks about the importance of defining the relationship. Now, I didn't realize that this was like a real thing in life, but my young adult son said, you know, Dad, that's what young people do today. They DTR. They define the relationship. And I was like, man, I didn't even realize that was a thing. I thought it was just in his book. But here's what Kyle says. He says, it's time we define the relationship. Jesus wants to know how you feel about him. Is your relationship with with Jesus exclusive? That's an important question to ask. If you're dating somebody today, if you're in the room and you're in a dating relationship, it's important to know, are we exclusive? Are you seeing other people? Jesus wants to know today, are you exclusive or are you seeing other people? Is it just a casual weekend thing, or has it moved past that? How would your relationship with him, with Jesus, be defined? What exactly is your level of commitment? I want you to think about this just for a moment. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? Well, I go to church. That's not what I'm asking. What's your relationship with Jesus? You see, you can hang out in church every single Sunday. You can even come by during the week. And if all you have is church, you've got nothing but a building. Jesus is the only one that can change us. The Bible says there's one way to heaven, one way which we must be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. How would you define your relationship today with Jesus? Paul, right out of the gate, he defines that moment, that relationship. He says, but I admit that I'm a follower of the way. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't push it back. He doesn't look for a loophole or avoid the situation. He says, I admit it. In other words, it's true. I'm a follower of Jesus. If you were in Paul's place, how would you respond? How would you define your relationship with Jesus Christ today? See, it's impossible to know how to get to where you are going until you first know where you are. What's that relationship look like? I hear people say all the time, well, I want to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus, or I'm all in, but here's the problem. They haven't defined where they are. They're all in what? They're all in where? Where are they headed? Where are you going? The second truth is this. A follower doesn't cheer from the distance A follower mirrors the master. 
A follower doesn't cheer from the distance. A, a follower mirrors the master. This is a daily decision. This is a daily moment of, Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm following after you. God, what would you have me to do today? God, where would you have me to go today? God, would you give me an opportunity to be used by you? God, help me to reflect you in all I say, in all that I do. That's what Paul desired to do. So which are you? Do you find yourself cheering as a fan from the stands, from the distance? Oh, you're enthusiastic, but you're just a fan. Or have you taken those steps needed? Are you willing to take the needed steps today after day mirror this relationship with the master? You see, your, your mirror in life, your actions, they should demonstrate all that Jesus has done while he was here on earth and what he's doing in your life today. Tertullus, he gained time with the authorities. He began to compliment the governor. He was playing the game. He knew what he needed to do to gain that moment of time. But Paul was unwilling to turn from the truth. He wasn't willing to compromise in the moment. He simply wanted to gain the true presence of God. He wanted to define that relationship where he was and where he was going. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, it says this, continue. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you've got to continue. Those of you watching online, put it in the chat right now. you got to continue. Continue means you've already been doing it. It's already in motion. This isn't something brand new. He says, continue to work out your salvation. I'm here to tell you, if you aren't continuing, it's time to start. Come on, i got three amens, two here and one back here. If you're not continuing, it's time to start, church. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now notice here, Paul doesn't say, or he says, work out your salvation. He doesn't say, work on. Come on, let, let, me, let me clarify this for you. There is absolutely nothing you can do to add to what Jesus has already done for you. Point blank. There's nothing you can do to add. You can't be more saved. Right? When you say, Lord, come into my life, he forgives you. He makes you brand new. He washes you white as snow. He doesn't wash you as gray as slate. Right? White as snow. So there's nothing you can do to add to what he's done. However, there's a lot that we can do to strengthen, to mature, to develop our relationship with him. The New Living Translation puts it this way, work hard to show the results of your salvation. 
We live in a culture that doesn't want to do that. And what do I mean? We don't want to work hard. Come on. That's why every single industry out here has job openings. We'd rather somebody else just give us a check and call it a day. I'm sorry, I'm not even on a soapbox. Come on now. We don't want to work hard. We just want everybody, give me, 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 give me. But did you know this relationship with Jesus? Oh, getting in is super easy. Super easy. Lord, come into my heart, come into my life. Boom, I'm in. But man, that journey, work hard. Continue to work to show the results of your salvation. The truth of the matter is this. You will become like that which you are committed to. If you're committed to that group of coworkers, that's who you're going to become like. If you're committed to that group of sport buddies, that's who you're going to become like. If you're committed to the things of God and the journey that he's laid in front of you, that's what you will soon reflect. You will begin to mirror the master. In the book, The 360 Disciple, by Alton Garrison, he says this, spiritual growth does not always come easily. It takes effort. In other words, work hard to show the results of your salvation. It's going to take discipline on your part and on my part. It's going to, to require us to be intentional in this journey, in this race. Why? Because whether you believe it or not, before you can ever be effective on the outside, you must be transformed on the inside. Come on. When I first moved here in 2012, almost 10 years ago, one of the very first things we began to do was strengthen the core. Because we realized if we didn't have a strong core, if we didn't establish something here at the roots, then there's no way we could be effective outside of these walls. We spent several weeks talking about community and building community, investing in community. Church, I'm here to tell you, the same goes in your own life. You've got to take the time of working on the inside. It's part of our mission, love. Reach. The reach has a couple parts. It's reaching in. It's doing the work on the inside. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it this way. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you act. No. Changing the way you look. No. But changing the way you think. In other words, the change that occurs on the inside affects what happens on the outside. There's an internal work that must be done to prepare us for this external mission, a mission to multiply in all areas for Jesus, a mission to, to share the good news of Jesus with everyone in our circle of influence and beyond. Again, in the book, The 360 Disciple, Alton Garrison begins to talk about five habits of a disciple. And by the way, a disciple is just another way of saying a follower. 
He says there's five habits, and I want to give those to you really quickly. They're very common, very basic. How many of you know sometimes we need to be reminded of the basics? Number one, if you want to be a solid disciple, if you want to truly be a follower, not just be a fan, Bible reading. Spending time in the Word of God. This is our guidebook for life. This is our our owner's manual for everything in this journey to Jesus. Spending time in the Bible should not be an obligation, but it should be a desire and an opportunity to know more about Jesus. If you have never taken time to, to dive in and begin to read the Bible Man, I'd encourage you, don't start in Genesis 1-1. Because then you're going to get to Exodus, and then you're going to get to Leviticus, and then you're going to get to Numbers, and then you're going to close it and put it back on the shelf. Okay? Now, those are good books, and we need those books. But for a person that's just diving in, that's not where you start. I'd encourage you, go to the New Testament, go to the book of John. Go to the book of Romans. Go to the book of Philippians. A lot of great books in the New Testament to really kind of help you get rolling in reading the Word of God. Get you a good study plan. You go to the Bible app, um, Uversion Bible app. Man, they got a lot of great Bible reading programs that you can follow along. But let this be the foundation that you, that you build upon. If you don't have a Bible, come talk to me. We'll get you a Bible. We want to make sure that you have God's Word readily available to you. The next is time in prayer. We've got to have Bible study. We've got to have time reading the Word, but you've also got to have time in prayer. It's been said that nothing of lasting value is even possible without prayer, and I agree with that. Nothing of lasting value is really going to hold on. It's not possible without prayer. Prayer catches the attention of heaven. Prayer is our lifeline, if you would, to the one that holds everything in his hand. Number three, listen carefully, church attendance. Guys, we need this. I alluded to it a moment ago. We're really good about doing church out of convenience, but I wonder how good are we at doing church out of conviction? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 about the importance of regular church attendance. It reminds us that we shouldn't give up on meeting one with, with one with another. We need this time. Church should be a priority. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, church should be a priority. Those of you watching online, put it's a priority. Church should be a priority. Why? Just so we can fill a seat? No. This is our moment to sharpen one another. This is our moment to enrich one another. This is our opportunity to encourage one another. This is our opportunity to rub shoulders with one another. Church, we need this time on a Sunday morning. Truth be told, you need Wednesday night worship and prayer. Man, the time we spend here in the body of Christ is so vitally important. I want to challenge you. Make this a priority. Well, pastor, I got this and I got this. Which one is going to last for all eternity? I'm just wondering. Let's move on. Tithing. Now, we're going to talk more about this in the next few months. And why? Some of you are like, oh, I don't even want to hear about tithing. That's all the, no. It's what Jesus talked about more than anything else. And if Jesus talked about it more than anything else, then it must be pretty important. 
Why? Because what tithing does, it helps us to, to understand that we've got to put God first in everything we do, including our finances. Again, we're going to talk more about this in just a couple of months. But suffice it to say, tithing is one of those habits that we've got to get into as we dive into this idea of moving from a fan to a follower or a disciple with Christ. And finally, if you'll come to the keyboard this morning. Number five, intentional witnessing. Intentional witnessing. Fernando, if you'll come. This is the calling of every person that claims to be a follower of Jesus. This is our responsibility. This is what Jesus has laid out to us as our mandate. Go and make disciples. That's being intentional. I was talking to one of our young adults um, just earlier this week, and he said, he said the coolest thing, he goes, I've got to tell you, the coolest thing, uh, he goes, this week I've been asking God every morning, God, give me an opportunity to talk to somebody. He goes, for the last three days, I've had opportunity to talk to people at the workplace. I've had opportunity to talk to people in town and pray with them. In fact, I was praying with one guy, and another guy was working on a roof up here, and he came off the roof and said, were you guys just praying for me? We said, yeah, we were just praying for you. He goes, I felt your prayers. Come on. Isn't that awesome? I was like, man, the DNA of what God is laying in this church, it's beginning to take roots. We're understanding that we're called to multiply, to bring others to this relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, you may not have all the answers, but that's, that's not what's laid out here. Jesus didn't say, if you have all the answers and you know all the scriptures, go and make disciples. No. He simply said, therefore, go. There's an effort to you. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Church, I'm gonna challenge you today. Make everyone, all five of these a priority. Bible reading, time in prayer, church attendance, tithing, and being intentional in your witnessing. And in that process, would you take the moment to define your relationship with Christ? Where do you stand? If you were on trial today for being a Christian, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's the question at hand. Would there be enough evidence? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.